We've titled this series, They Did What? Because over the course of the study of this book so far, we've seen the Israelites do some, some things that just make us scratch our head and think, wow, really? And there's been other times where we've seen the Israelites do some phenomenal things and we think, yes, fantastic, they did that. It's funny, I outlined this series, uh, at least the Joshua portion of it, the first week in September. And I did that after reading and listening to the entire book several times through. I I thought I had a pretty good handle on what each section was talking about. This past week, though, as I began to read over uh, chapters 9 through 12 that we're covering today, I sat there and I, I kid you not, I said to myself, you did what? Why did you put these four chapters together? And what were you thinking? How many of you read chapters 9 through 12 this past week? Okay, good. A few of you. If you didn't, go home and read it tonight. Because you'll, you'll find, uh, maybe, that you were similar to me in the fact that it was a struggle reading through these chapters. I mean, Sunday night, I was, I was winding down last Sunday night from, from a full day. And I had told Tim, uh, after Visionary Parenting, I said, Tim, I'll, I'll listen to it one more time tonight to these chapters, and, and I'll, I'll send you a text to kind of let you know what I'm thinking, uh, kind of where God's leading, because he had some time on Monday to prepare the service. So I spent some time on the treadmill listening to it, and, and when I got off, I was frustrated. And I sent Tim a text saying, saying this. I'll, I'll read it to you. Tim, do you mind? Kind of breach of confidentiality here. Okay. Just finished Joshua chapter 9 through 12. I've got no clue what I'm going to do with it. 10 through 12 is full of Israel killing everyone. It's no wonder people outside the faith struggle with the Old Testament. But chapter 9 could preach, but I don't have any specific direction. Pray for God's insight for me. He did. And it took until late Monday before something really came. But chapter 9, I said, is preachable, but chapter 10 through 12 is full of Israel killing everyone. Or maybe even better said, chapters 10 through 12 could be full of God killing everyone. And I talked earlier in this series about the wickedness of the people living in Canaan. I used that wickedness to justify God telling the Israelites, kill everybody in Jericho. Okay? You know, even kill everybody in the city of Ai. And I think at the time, I was okay with God saying, okay, let's demolish a couple of cities. But if you read 10 through 12, you're going to see that there's a whole lot more demolishing going on than just a couple of cities. I mean, every other sentence is, such and such a king was killed, and such and such a city was plundered. So I stopped Sunday night, last Sunday night, as you could tell from my text, not knowing what direction to go, and frankly, (coughs) a little bit frustrated. All I could think about was, what would my unbelieving friends, what would those who don't follow Jesus, who question the goodness of God, what would they think about a text like this? And a case in point, Joshua chapter 10, you just kind of flip the page if you need to. After defeating five nations that had combined together to fight the Israelites, Joshua and his men returned to a cave that the five kings of those nations had hid in. Listen to this account in Joshua 10, verse 20 to 26. So Joshua and the Israelite army continued the slaughter and completely crushed the enemy. 
They totally wiped out the five armies except for a tiny remnant that managed to reach their fortified towns. Then the Israelites returned safely to Joshua in the camp of Makeda. After that, no one dared to speak even a word against Israel. Then Joshua said, Remove the rocks covering the opening of the cave and bring the five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they brought them out, Joshua told the commanders of his army, Come and put your feet on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged, Joshua told his men. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. Then Joshua killed each of the five kings and impaled them on five sharpened poles, where they hung until evening. Graphic, yes? I mean, this is the sort of scene that would make YouTube videos today in the nightly news on every channel. Uh-huh. Unsettling? Maybe a little bit. You know, it was later Monday, so after the struggle Sunday night, and most of the struggle on Monday, it was Monday evening, later afternoon evening, that I read something from a commentator that helped me, I guess you could say, swallow texts like this. The commentator was writing specifically about this Joshua 10 text that we just wrote, or that we just read, and he said this. He said, now this act was not simply a barbaric act or a mere macho move. It was, if one might speak loosely, a sacrament. Joshua's words in verse 25 explain the action. Don't be afraid. Don't lose your nerve. Be strong. Be bold. For this is what Yahweh will do to all of your enemies with whom you are fighting. The leader's feet upon the necks of these prostrate kings was an acted parable, an assuring sign of how Yahweh would certainly place all their enemies beneath them. The symbolic action is intended as a visible encouragement to the people of God. Sacraments are not for skeptics, but are for believers as props for our weak faith. After reading this commentator, this idea that the actions that were done were done to encourage, were done to assure, were done to be a sacrament for God's people, I was able to go back and relook at these four chapters through a different set of eyes. Now, these chapters, they still kind of rub me wrong, but I was able to approach the text differently. So, how do these four chapters encourage believers? What do they assure us of God? These were the questions I came back to the text with. And when reading through those two questions, I couldn't help but be reminded of God's promises and the fact that He desires to keep promises. You heard in chapter 9 that we read as our call to worship, uh, you saw Joshua and the Israelite leaders duped into making this peace treaty with the Gibeonites. Right? You probably asked yourself as you were listening, that they did what? I mean, ultimately, they didn't check. They didn't, they didn't follow the check in their spirit. Chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. The Israelites replied to these Hivites, How do we know you don't live nearby? For if we do, we cannot make a treaty with you. But they replied, We are your servants. But who are you? Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? I mean, do you hear that? That's a little bit of an unsettled feeling in the stomach. That's a, uh, wait, wait a minute, something, something smells a little fishy here. 
Instead of pushing the issue, though, Joshua and the leadership, they looked at the rigged evidence. The weathered clothes, the the worn sandals, the cracked wineskins, the stale food. Verse 14 says, so the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult with the Lord. They examined the food, but they did not consult with the Lord. They did what? Or maybe better said, they did not do what? I'm not going to spend too much time on why they didn't consult with the Lord. I mean, maybe the bread really was dry and moldy. Uh, Maybe the leadership thought, hey, there's a whole bunch of us here. If we all look at the evidence, you know, it's going to prove to be true. We don't have to ask God because there's enough of us. And if enough of us think it's right, then it's probably right. Right, fellas? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's go with that. You know, maybe they were thinking, huh, those Gibeonites, they said something that I think I've heard before. We come from a distant land <coughs> to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. You know, it's, it's possible. It's possible that the Israelite leaders, when they heard the Gibeonites say that, said, you know, didn't Moses say something like this? When Moses was giving us instructions on war, didn't he talk about the towns that were far away and our ability to go and make a peace treaty with them? In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 15, Moses said these instructions about making peace with these cities far away, they only apply to distant towns, not to the towns of the nations in which you will enter. So maybe the Israelite leaders heard them say, we're from this faraway place, and they thought back to what Moses said, and they thought, well, okay, let's, let's make this peace treaty with them. Or maybe they were coming off this spiritual high that we talked about last week at the end of chapter 8 when, man, they gathered, they had a phenomenal corporate worship service. Maybe the Israelite leaders didn't remember that when we seem closest to God, that's, that's when the enemy will attack the most. You know, I don't, I don't really want to spend much time on why they didn't seek God's advice first. The bottom line is they didn't. We know that. Instead, they made this treaty that they had to uphold. So going back to my two questions, what does this story, what does this narrative about these tricky Gibeonites, what does it assure us of God? Well, it assures us that he takes promises seriously. He takes promises seriously. Chapter 9, verse 18, the second half of it. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the, because of the treaty. And they should have. Okay? But the leaders replied, Since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live, for divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. Let them live. God takes promises seriously. I mean, writing years and years later, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, King David wrote in Psalm 15 this. He says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord. Those who keep their promises even when it hurts. Such people will stand firm forever. Those who keep their promises even when it hurts. 
So these four chapters, Joshua 9 through 12, they reminded me, and hopefully they're beginning to remind you, that God takes promises seriously. But even more than just any promise, God takes His promises seriously. Promises that He gives to His people, He wants to make sure they come true. And we see this truth littered throughout these chapters. I'll show you what I mean. Here's a promise of God. If you're proud, God will oppose you. If you're humble, God will lift you up. Have you heard that promise before? Yes? Okay. It's littered throughout Scripture. You see it in Proverbs 3. In 1 Peter 5, we see it really good in James chapter 4, where it says this. It says, as the scriptures say, God opposes the, opposes the proud, but humbles, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. In our story, do you think it was easy for the people of Gibeon to come and say to the Israelites, we want peace? Doubtful. I mean, do you think they, they, they liked it? Do you think it took great humility for them to come and say, we've heard what you and your God are doing to people. We can't defend ourselves, so we're at your service. To me, that says humility. In fact, Tim pointed this truth out as we were talking on Monday. He said, though deceitful in how they did it, the Gibeonites demonstrated great humility in what they did. I mean, what's God's promise? Be humble and God will lift you up. Right? Okay? What happened to the Gibeonites? Verse 22. Joshua called together the Gibeonites and said, Why did you lie to us? Why did you say that you live in a distant land when you live right here among us? May you be cursed. From now on, you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. May you be cursed, Joshua said. But God says those who humble themselves... I will lift up. I mean, being woodcutters and water haulers put the Gibeonites in the Lord's presence. It put them in God's house. This cursed job that Joshua gave them put them in the middle of where God wants us to be. We sang a song about this earlier, and the psalmist decreed in Psalm 84, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than to live the good life in the homes of the wicked. I mean, I think the Gibeonites would have said something very similar. Better is one day as a water hauler and woodcutter than any other day in the path of the Israelites. How long did they stay in that role? Chapter 9, verse 27 Wherever the Lord, excuse, but, but that day he made the Gibeonites and the woodcutters water carriers for the, community of the, for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord. And that is what they do to this day. Citizens of Gibeon humbled themselves. God lifted them up. God keeps his promises. Now here's another promise of God, okay? God will provide all our needs. Have you heard that before? Do you believe that? God will provide all our needs. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Okay, let's go on what's going to seem like a rabbit trail, but it's going to connect, okay? When you think of the Israelites and their conquest of Canaan, 
When you mentally, the, mentally envision the cities that they just get done defeating, how do you picture them? A little bit like that, right? I mean, you can kind of see it. There's, there's smoke coming up, this, this dark plume of clouds rising towards the heavens. You know, we think of that because of what we talked about the last couple of weeks. When we watched Israel capture and burn Jericho, we watched them capture and burn the city of Ai. And if you read chapters 9 through 12, you saw them capture and burn the town of Hazar. But to my knowledge, and according to one of the commentaries I read, these were the only three towns that Israel burned. Chapter 11, verse 13. But the Israelites did not burn any of the towns built on mounds except Hazar, which Joshua burned. Now, since we're looking at God keeping his promises, and he promises to provide all our needs, how about these texts providing for the places for the Israelites to live once they moved in to Canaan? I mean, it's God's provision of house, of home, of roof, of food. And God told Moses he was going to do this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods that you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. God's saying, I'm going to provide your basic needs. A roof over your head, food on your plate. At the end of this book, Joshua reminds the people that God did this. Joshua chapter 24, verse 13. God said, I gave you the land that you had not worked on, and the towns that you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. God keeps his promises. And he promises to provide all our needs. Okay, let's recap, just in case you started falling asleep. Okay, and if your neighbor is sleeping, elbow them. I started out by saying, hey, I, I struggled with these chapters. I especially struggled because what would those who don't follow God think of this God demolishing everyone? I told you what, that what helped me sift through these passages was a commentator who said we should really view this as God's encouragement for His people. God's assurance for His people. So we started looking at the text through the questions of how do these texts encourage believers and what do they assure us of God. And I've said that to me they assure us that God takes promises seriously and they assure us that God takes His promises seriously. And so far, we've seen two promises. Humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up, and God provides all our needs. Let's look at a couple of more promises found in here. Here's the next one. Ask God, and you will receive. Pray, and God will answer. That's a promise of God, spoken from the mouth of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 7. Keep on asking, and you will receive. Now, you think the the leaders of Israel and Joshua could have used this promise before making that treaty with Gibeon, right? They could have simply said, God, give us wisdom. And I think God would have given it to them. In James chapter 1, verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask. 
our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Joshua should have asked for wisdom. It could have saved a lot of headaches. And it's not like Joshua didn't know this promise. You look at this, this, this crazy prayer that he prayed in Joshua chapter 10, and you'll realize he knew that God would answer. Joshua 10, verse 12 and following. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Talk about leaning into the promise of ask and God will answer. God wants us to ask. And in fact, I think that when we're in the habit of asking, He's more willing to answer. Isaiah 65, verse 24, God said, I will answer them before they even call to Me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. In our story, Joshua prayed for a miraculous stoppage of the sun and God answered. There should be some assurance for us believers in that. Amen? I mean, Joshua 10, 14, there has never been a day like that one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day, which leads us to a fourth promise of God. God will fight for us. God will fight for us. God told Joshua this in chapter 10, verse 8. Don't be afraid of them, the Lord said, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up against you. You know, it's not like Joshua hadn't heard stuff like that before. God had been telling him that all along. I mean, number, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, be strong and courageous. Chapter 1, verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you as long as you live. I'll be with you as I was with Moses. And I love what Dale Davis says about this. He says, such is the usual way God has of reassuring his children. Not by unveiling to them some new truth previously unknown, but by reaffirming promises already given, which somehow take on new power because of the current pressing need. God will fight for us. This is an often repeated uh, promise in our, in our chapters today and an often fulfilled promise. Chapter 10, verse 9 and 11 says, Joshua traveled all the way from Gilgal and took the Amorite army by surprise. Verse 10, the Lord threw them into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Verse 11, as the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Horon, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. God fought for them. Now things could have got real dicey when the Israelites started taking on the kings from the northern kingdoms. Because listen to how many of them there were. Joshua chapter 11. When King Jabin of Hazor heard what had happened, 
He sent messengers to the following kings. King Jobab of Madon, the king of Shimron, the king of Akshaph, all the kings of the northern hill country, the kings in the Jordan Valley south of Galilee, the kings in the Galilean foothills, the kings of Napoth-dor on the west, the kings of Canaan, both east and west, the kings of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites in the towns on the slopes of Mount Hermon in the land of Mitzpah. All these kings came out to fight. Their combined armies formed a vast horde, and with all their horses and chariots, they covered the landscape like sand on the seashore. What happened? God fought for him. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. By this time tomorrow, I will hand over all of them to Israel as dead men. Beginning at verse 8, And the Lord gave them victory over their enemies. Don't mess with God, right? He'll fight for you. Psalm 27, verse, or Psalm 24, verse 7 and 8 talks about who is this king of glory? That they may enter in. I think it's, it's up there, right? The Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. And through Moses, God had told the Israelites in chapter 20 of Deuteronomy, when you go out to fight your enemies and you face horses and chariots and an army greater than your own, do not be afraid. The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt is with you. Verse 4, for the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies and he will give you victory. Now, I want you to hear me on this. I'm not saying that if your coworker beats you in fantasy football, God's going to come down and smite them. Okay? God will choose when and where it's appropriate to defend his people. It may be that we just have to go through some things, and that's strengthening our faith. Or it may be that God says, you know what, this is, this is something small enough. I'm, I'm going to take care of it for him. Or this is something huge, and I'm going to take care of it for him. My people may think this is something giant in their life. And even if it is, I'm going to beat the giants for them. You know how I know this? It says it in our text. Joshua chapter 11, verse 21 and 22. During this period, Joshua destroyed all the descendants of Anak, who lived near the hill country of Hebron, Deber, Anab, and the entire hill country of Judah and Israel. He killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. None of the descendants of Anak were left in the land of Israel, though some still remained in Gaza, Goth, and Ashdod. Anak. Where have we heard this before? Well, how about the reports of ten of the twelve spies that came back um, and gave their report after entering the promised land before the Israelites themselves entered? Remember their report? Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Verse 33, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. 
Whether vast hordes of an opposing army or a literal giants, God told the Israelites, I'm going to fight for you. And he delivered. And he gives us the same promise. God is on our side. Whether things are big or small. And this ought to give us comfort. This ought to assure us. And those are of God. God will fight for you and ask and you will receive. Now there's more promises, small promises in these four chapters that we could uh, dig and, and look at. But instead of going small, I want to go big. I want to show you that chapters 9 through 12 really is a culmination of one big promise that God gave this man named Abraham years before all of this was taking place in our text. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 and 21 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And what was it that God had promised Abraham? Genesis 15, verse 18. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Did this happen? If you read chapter 12, you will see that it did. Chapter 12 really is an example of the list of God's keeping His faithful promises. Now to me, As a believer, that gives me comfort. Knowing that what God says He will do, He will do. So what promises of God can you cling to today? Will you cling to one of the four we've talked about? Or are there others in God's Word that you will hold on to? If you take nothing else out of Joshua 9-12, through take this. God takes His promises to us seriously. And that should give us comfort. That should give us assurance. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You so much for Your Word. And I thank You that throughout Your Word, You give us countless promises. And God, I thank You that even in this text, these four chapters of of, uh, battle and, and death, I thank You that in these chapters, You remind us that you are faithful, and that you will keep your promises to us. God, I pray that as we, as we face the things that we will face, be it today, tomorrow, or months from now, uh, I pray that we will remember to hold on to what you say you will do. And as we do that, Lord, will you comfort us? Will you assure us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's another promise of God that we can hold on to, that He will never let go of us. Go home tonight and read Joshua 9-12 through 12 with the, uh, through the lens of God's promises. And then in preparation for next week, read Joshua 22 and 23. This week, may the God who keeps His promises bless you and protect you. May He smile upon you and be gracious to you. May He show you His favor and give you His peace. Amen and amen.